Before we get started, ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, presents Kyle Brandt's Basement, led by NFL Network's Good Morning Football host, Kyle Brandt. Every Sunday through Thursday, the show explores the ins and outs of the NFL through lively guest interviews, including Bill's QB, Josh Allen, every Tuesday, and also inventive segments unique to Brandt to bring fans closer to the action on and off the field. That's Kyle Brandt's Basement. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my boy, Super Bowl champion, super host, super everything, Ryan Clark. Ryan, what's up, my guy? How you doing, brother? What up, DC, man? How was the trip to Brazil, bro? Long, long. And then, <laughs> hey, RC, then I drank some water and had some ice in my, my, my uh, Monster Energy drink, and I got sick. I was sick all no. Sunday. I was sick all Saturday. Bro, I got sick from drinking the water in Brazil, and I've been sick ever since. But we back for DC and RC. Today on the show, guys, we will recap UFC 283. We will do our Mount Rushmore of Brazilian mixed martial artists after I just got back from Rio. And as always, we tap in and we tap out. But Ryan, as I just said, I was in Rio de Janeiro last weekend to watch the light heavyweight championship fight. Jamal Hill took on Glover Teixeira. Jamal Hill is now the light heavyweight champion of the world. What did you feel watching that young man put on the performance of a lifetime to become the champion of the world? And then he said something, R.C., that really sat with me. He goes, I had to fight. He goes, I had to fight just to have a chance. That just tells you, like, that kid born in Chicago, grew up in Grand Rapids. It's like he come from a very tough background. He fought to have yeah. a chance, and that fighting has now made him the champion of the world. It was very, like, happy and, and gratifying for me to see him get yeah. through all those trials and tribulations over his life to stand atop the world yeah. on that night Saturday. I think so many times we look at guys like Charles Oliveira and what he came through in the poverty poverty that he dealt with growing up and some of the third world countries that we see some of our greatest fighters come from. And we miss some of the adversity that can be faced right here in the States with people who grew up like Jamal Hill. And what I took away from it was this, D.C., that natural reaction to winning. And John Anik even said it when Jamal Hill is, is crying and, and then he's screaming. It was to me that unchoreographed emotion of reaching the pinnacle mm -hmm. of this great sport and doing it in such an unorthodox way. Before the fight, I was talking to my son Jordan as we got prepared to watch it. And I said, no, like, no one in the world, even Jamal Hill, expected this to be a night for him to challenge for the heavy, for the light heavyweight title. And then when he won it, I thought that was even more uncommon or something that was or something that was thought of even less. And it was not just a good performance, it was a dominant performance over one of the greatest mixed martial artists to ever live in Glover Teixeira, a man that had rebuilt his career to become the champion that had just lost it to Yuri Prochaska and that was fighting for it again. And it was never in doubt. Even when he was mounted in the fifth round, Jamal Hill found a way to get out of that and then found a way to smart fight smartly and continue to win. DC, as someone who has held the light heavyweight title, what did sitting octagon side and watching that make you feel? You know, RC, it was, it was, it was just, I was happy for the kid because I was able to spend some time with the kid all week in Rio and we played video games. Like RC, he was in my room playing Madden some nights until one o'clock in the morning. And I would go, dude, you don't need to go to sleep. He's like, no. He's like, I can't sleep. I'm too excited to be on the verge of doing something so special. And I remember on Thursday night, he made the weight, RC. And he grabbed his manager and his team, and he started almost crying, going, I'm about to be a world champion. Because that reality mm. set in when he hit that number. When that scale said 205, he goes, this was the only obstacle because my belief in self is so strong that when that octagon door closes, I am going to win. So many thought that if that fight went long, it was Glover Teixeira's fight to win. Or to lose, sorry. Yes. But it yes. was never 
that Jamal Hill never gave him any opportunities. And I'll tell you, man, I was very vocal about some of my reservations on Jamal Hill. How would he deal with Glover Teixeira if he got taken down? How would he deal with Glover Teixeira if he spent extended periods of time on the ground? How would he deal with the pace and pressure of Teixeira? Dude, checkbox, 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 check. He checked every single box in fighting on Saturday night. And I looked at him and go, I don't know who you favor to beat this young man right now at light heavyweight. He is that good. And to do that on a five, six-week training camp, yeah, unbelievable. You know, you know, DC. I don't, I don't understand the training for a title fight the way that you do. But in looking at Jamal Hill, he not only looked confident, he looked comfortable. Right there, there wasn't mm-hmm. a moment in that fight where I felt like he was trying to or attempting to do things that won't allow Jamal Hill to be himself, won't allow him to be explosive in his striking, won't allow him to be comfortable in the way that Glover Teixeira is approaching him. And that was the one thing that said to me, he expected to win. And I kept thinking about some of the things that Anthony Smith told us when we talked to him last week. He kept saying, you're going to be surprised at how confident Jamal is. You're going to be surprised at how skilled he is, how much he believes in himself, that if he does get taken down, that doesn't mean that the fight is over. And we saw all of those things happen. But the one thing about the light heavyweight division, which was ruled by two men for so long, those two men being light heavyweight, former light heavyweight champion John Jones, who we'll see later on this year against Surreal Gan, and yourself, Daniel Cormier, the two-division champ, is that no one has seemed to be able to hold this belt, whether it's Jan Bohovitz, whether it's Glover Teixeira, then Yuri Pahatska, and now it's Jamal Hill. In seeing Jamal's meteoric rise to being champion in such a dynamic fashion, DC, what are his prospects of being able to hold on to this belt and become a guy who reigns atop the light heavyweight division? You know, RC, it speaks to the parity of the division, right? You got guys that are just so evenly matched that they go into these fights as the champion. And like your Prohachka did not beat Glover Teixeira in the way that Jamal did. But Yuri Prohachka may match up well against Jamal Hill. Nobody may match up as well against uh, against um, Magomed and Kalayev as Jan Bohovic. They're all so even. So I don't know uh, who was going to hold that championship for a long time. But after watching Jamal on Saturday, I feel more confident that he's the type of guy that can reign atop this division for a little bit. Because that was the buzzword, Ryan, for Anthony Smith. Surprised. And trust me, I was surprised a lot by Jamal Hill last week. Because I was like, dude, how are you so sure on the eve of the biggest thing you've ever done? You know, I I speak about, Ryan, these athletes, some of them are just different. And I, I always call back to my first title fight against John Jones. January 3rd, 2015. On January 1st, midnight, I laid in my hotel room, slept until midnight to wake up to kiss my family into the new year. I look on Mm. Instagram, John Jones is out at the club partying, hanging out, ringing in the new year as if it's a normal new year. But because he was so sure in those moments, Jamal Hill wouldn't go to sleep. He's like playing video Mm -hmm. games. He's hanging out. He was so sure in that moment. And it showed when he stepped inside the octagon, dude. The kid is, yeah. he, he was he surprised me. But I'm not going to be surprised by Jamal yeah. Hill anymore. And again, first dude from the yeah. Contender Series, Ryan, to become a champion. So it shows you that those Tuesday nights, you better tune in because you never yeah. know who you're going to come across. I think the UFC and Dana White have done such a good job. Obviously, first, it was the Ultimate Fighter. Now you have the Contender Series. And we've seen... People from now adding Jamal Hill, we've seen fighters from both installations become champions in the UFC. On the other side of Jamal Hill's confidence and Jamal Hill's dominant performance is Glover Teixeira, the former light heavyweight champion. And in an effort, DC, that made me respect Glover Teixeira more than I did before the night, which I thought was impossible. The toughness that he showed, the ability to walk through some of these 
punches and strikes that we've seen Jamal Hill put other fighters dang near out of the octagon with, including someone we saw on the fight card in Johnny Walker, who was dominant. Glover Teixeira showed us not only the skill of a champion, but the heart of a champion. In watching him, it was one of those performances, DC, where I said to myself, this is the way to go out. He didn't go out being knocked out. He didn't go out probably in his best performance, but he went out as a warrior. He went out showing everyone yeah. in that arena, everyone who was watching on pay-per-view, that these elements, these characteristics are what champions are made of. And then he, which to me, I wish the arena was still full because Glover Teixeira deserved that. Glover Teixeira told us that he was now stepping away from the UFC. Yeah. As you're sharing that moment with him inside the octagon, tell me a little bit about what Glover's last performance and also that moment that you got to share with Glover stepping yeah. away meant to you. You know, I wanted to hug him, RC, because like when he won the belt, like Glover to share is one of those guys that you just can't help but like. But that second picture, RC, where he's got the the uh, stuff white all across his head and then it's in his nose. Bruh. Like, bruh, that should tell you at 43 years old, it's about time to walk away. And I think... Heck yeah. His, I ain't finna deal with that. Glover said, <laughs> no, man, like, come on, man, 43 years old. But, like, he said in the, in the octagon, he goes, I may be too tough for this one. This is the picture right here, Ryan. When you got that going on, it's time to walk away from the game, man. Because if you can go through that, and last 25 minutes, you might be too tough for your own good. And right. I swear to God, when I was standing next to Glover, and I, he, he said, I may be too tough for myself. I looked over at his wife, and she was shaking her, said, yeah, her head, yes. Like, she was, like, in line with him retiring in that moment. And it felt good for me to be a part of two of Glover's biggest moments, right? Winning the championship, then retiring from the sport in a way that most don't get. Because if we you look at Shogun Hua yeah. early in the day. Another legend gets knocked out, and that's how most legends go out of the game. Glover Teixeira was able to go out with his pride intact, his head held high, and uh, dude's a savage, man. And and I enjoyed that he was. I was able to watch him compete again, and he always gave himself a chance. So uh, yeah. hats off to Glover. Uh, great career. And what makes it even more impressive, RC, is that Glover got here on an 18-fight win streak. The only reason we waited 18 mm. fights – was because he couldn't get a visa. A lot of his prime was spent wow. stuck in Brazil. He could not get right. his visa. So when he finally got here, he had won 18 fights in a row to get to the UFC. He should have been here years before. So a lot of his prime was spent yeah. still stuck in Brazil. So I'm very impressed with what he did. And uh, hats off on a great career. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think of... Glover Teixeira, a man that fought for the title years ago, finally gets an opportunity to fight for it again and becomes the light heavyweight champion. It's truly a story of perseverance and being a fighter who, even through adversity, continues to grow at the old ripe age of 43, showing us that he still had enough in him to go 25 minutes with Jamal Hill, who was dominant, especially on the feet. But speaking of dominance, let's talk a little bit about the flyweight champion, Brandon Moreno, who again defeated... Davidson Figueredo in their fourth uh, time in the octagon together. And to me, DC, this through three rounds, although not as bloody as what was the main event or the co-main event with Jamal Hill, it was just as dominant. Brandon Moreno seems to be this puzzle piece that Davidson Figueredo, Figueredo just cannot solve. He walks in there with the ultimate confidence. He's so relaxed and so calm, standing in what, what is, to many people, the most feared and dynamic flyweight in the entire world in Davidson Figueredo, and he dominates him. He, he, he fights against mm -hmm. him in a way that when we saw Davidson Figueredo on his way, on his rise to the flyweight champion, we were not seeing. And once again, he comes out, uh, Davidson thought he was poked in the eye, but really it was a great left hook by Brandon Moreno. He then gets him to the ground and dominates, remains in control of that fight. And eventually the fight is stopped in between the third and the fourth round by the doctors because uh, Figueredo couldn't open his eye. 
Watching this for the fourth time, DC, I feel like Brandon Moreno showed that there is a difference between these two, that he is the superior fighter in where their styles meet inside the octagon. Going forward, what can you see for Brandon Moreno, who a guy who lost his UFC contract a few years back is showing that there is no peer for him in this division? He, he's getting better, RC. He just keeps getting better. And yeah. that's, that probably was the most telling thing about this series, right, was in fight one, Davidson was considered the scary champion. Brandon fought him well. Then in fight two, Brandon dominates him. And then in fight three, it seemed as though Davidson was still on par with him. Saturday night, he was not on par with him at all. It was not close. It was not competitive. And it was only going to get worse. It was not about to change for Davidson Figueredo. Brandon Moreno has separated himself from Davison in regards to the way that they fight, the way they compete, and the way that they approach the fight inside the octagon. We saw Brandon Moreno wrestling, getting takedowns early in the fight. We saw Brandon Moreno just constantly evolving at every step of this rivalry. It just did not feel like Davison was able to make the adjustments or the improvements fast enough to stay on par with him. And I think on Saturday the question was answered, who's the better fighter? Does it mean that Brandon Moreno is the better flyweight? I don't know. Because Alessandre Pantoja has beaten him twice. But that's not the same guy that he beat before. And that'll be the guy that he fights next. But Davison Figueredo may still beat everyone else. He just isn't going to beat Brandon Moreno. Davison announced that he's going to go to 135 now. And I think that's a smart decision because not only does he cut a ton of weight, he has to get away from Moreno because Moreno is the type of guy that has the type of style for Figueredo that could really ruin your career because you're in there just getting beat up by the guy constantly over and over again, and you never become or have an opportunity to be yourself or the man you were prior to that series. So Brandon Moreno showed he's the man. I believe that he's got Pantoja next, RC. Pantoja went up to him right after the fight and was like, I'm next. Brandon's like, yo, let me get through the night. Talk your trash tomorrow. But at least let me get through this, putting this chapter in the rear view and allowing me to look forward to what you and I do down the line. You know what, DC, in, in listening to you speak about Brandon Moreno and the way that he's continually improved and to show himself dominant or show himself a cut above a fighter like Davidson Figueredo, it kind of feels to me that we're headed toward the Israel Adesanya Alex Pereira uh, conversation in yeah. the sense that, okay, yep, yep, we yep. see Brandon Moreno as this champion. We see Brandon Moreno as this giant of the flyweight division, but now he's going to fight this man in Pantoja who has shown us that he could beat Brandon Moreno and shown us that he can not only do it one time, but yeah. he can do it two times. And so now in the trilogy is Pantoja in your estimation, the next guy that can hold the flyweight division belt? You know, for me, RC, what's crazy about this is, right, and you said it beautifully, the trilogy. But when in the world have we ever had a trilogy that goes in as the champion down 0-2? I mean, the champion is down 0-2 in a trilogy fight. That's absurd. We never get that. But I think we have to remind ourselves that – for as good as Pantoja has looked, and he has looked good, he beat a different Brandon Moreno. That Brandon Moreno from back then, it is not the same guy, RC. He's much better. Back in the day, he was a more boxing-based fighter. Now the kid can do just about anything. And the reality is, and when we go to England, RC, you'll probably meet Brandon Moreno and talk to him because he does a lot of the Spanish commentary. <clears throat> Nicest guy and the type of person that you actually root for as he goes into his career. He's like, he honestly has a lot of the same qualities as Glover. He's just nice. He's warm. He's welcoming. He's very smart. And when you talk to him, you'll be like, okay, now I understand why people speak so glowingly about Brandon Moreno. The guy's an absolute savage of a fighter and he's a great human being. That is not in those aspects. Pantoja's seen that, but in the fight aspect, it is a different person he will step into the octagon with whenever they go because Moreno is not the same guy, and he is very, very – he's, like, very, very good. He's improved 
tenfold since the last time they fought. Nah, you're absolutely right. And I think we could see that every time he steps into the octagon. And when you are facing a different man who has now become as good of a fighter as he is a person, I think that's a different level of competition that we'll be seeing Pantoja face if stepping into the octagon for this trilogy. Another guy who stepped in this weekend and was phenomenal was Gilbert Burns when you watched him submit Neil Magny. But what we didn't hear, at least not before the fight, was a little bit of advice Gilbert got from his wife that helped him win. I was saying goodbye to my wife before I was coming to the fight. And then she said something that I like, you, you hold on to me. She said, I don't want you to bang today. I want a quick submission. Don't get hit. You promise you're going to do that? And I say, yeah, okay, I promise, okay. You promise you're going to do that? I say, yeah, okay. I don't want to make her mad. She's a black belt on jiu-jitsu too. So I'm like, yeah, okay. And... uh the fight started, I was getting my distance, I would get it going. And I saw the right-handed there, I saw it, and then I said, okay, I'm gonna try to throw so hard on this guy in the beginning. And then I kind of remember the promise. Oh, I, I gotta finish this guy. Okay, okay, let me, if the right hand doesn't connect, I'm gonna shot for a takedown. And then he stepped back, takedown was right there. I was, okay, I'm gonna finish this guy. And then, but what she said just came back to my mind. I said, oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> hey DC your, that's your awesome man you know what they say bro happy wife happy life and for Gilbert Burns to let that click in and I also like low afro Gilbert Burns by the way if Gilbert is watching it's you know nice, I right? like the hair yeah I like the hair but for Gilbert to here's what's crazy about that it's one thing to be in the fight because I don't know how you guys do it and actually think and I don't know if Gilbert really remember that is why he said that but to be so skilled both on your feet and um, in jiu-jitsu that you can win fights either way and sometimes pick your way is just a phenomenon to me. I think it's one of those things you look at and you marvel at. Gilbert Burns still wants to be in the conversations for championship opportunities in this weight class. And when you take a fight against a lower-ranked opponent, you have to have a wow moment. You have to have dominance. And that was exactly what he had against Neil Magny, who is highly respected. Where does this win against Neil put Gilbert Burns in the hierarchy of championship contenders, DC, as it pertains to the 170-pound weight class? I think that he said what he was going to do. He said constantly he was not going to be in there for 10 minutes with Neil Magny. It took him less than five. Neil Magny is not a guy that gets dominated. It just does not happen. Gilbert Burns buzz right through him. So for a long time, we've called for Jorge Masvidal to take the Gilbert Burns fight. Um... But I love the call-up. I love the Colby Covington call-up. I loved him saying, Colby Covington, let's do the fight. I would love to see him and Colby Covington yep. as the next two coaches on the Ultimate Fighter. That would make for some fantastic television. I think that those guys, yep. put them in the octagon, let them fight. Because you have a guy in Gilbert Burns who has proven to fight anybody, anytime. So now, reward him. Because he fought Hamzat when nobody was willing, willing, really wanting to fight Hamzat. He fought Neil Magny, a guy way behind him, just because nobody else is willing to give him a fight. Give him the prize. Give him Kobe Covington with an opportunity to put himself back in to the title contention. I loved his call-out. I loved his performance. I thought he did fantastic. And I think that Gilbert Burns doing and fighting in the way that he did, using that unbelievable jujitsu is very difficult to beat. So, uh, yeah, give him Kobe Covington. Let's see what that does for his career and his, his options or proposition at the top of the division. Yeah, you know, DC, it's, it's one of those things that this division is so crowded at the top, and it just got more <laughs> interesting when we saw a guy like Leon Edwards literally kick victory from the jaws of defeat against Kamaru <laughs> Usman in their last meeting. And we get to watch that all over again, the trilogy fight in London. But I would love to see Gilbert Burns with the opportunity for Jorge Masvidal, but more so a Kobe Covington if you can't make Hamzat Chemaev Kobe Covington because I believe that fight sets us up for the next fighter to get an opportunity at the belt. And then a Gilbert Burns fight would then be, I guess, the, the, the semifinal to that that got the next opportunity. But 
We also got to see some dominance in the heavyweight division, D.C., from Jelton El, uh, Elmida that I think is different. When you look at his last few fights, this is a man that delivers a lot of punishment without taking any. And in seeing him this weekend, someone or someone fighting in a division that you know extremely well for a guy to look like this, for a guy to move like this, for a guy to dominate in the way that he's dominated, D.C., is this kind of the new breed? Because we saw Cyril Gaon become a new breed. Is Jolton yep. Almeida kind of a new breed of heavyweight that we're seeing in the making? You know, I think when you look at Almeida, he's the type of guy that you know that with the right training and with the right coaching and guidance, he can do something special. Is that world champion? I, I don't know. You know, it's hard to really... It's hard to see a world champion. You know what's crazy? It's like Francis. When you saw Francis, Ryan, you probably thought to yourself, that dude's about to be a world champ at some point. I get that a bit with Jailton, but not as, it doesn't scream at me as much because he's he has to take you down. And I know that at the top of the division, there's some very tough guys to take down. But as he continues to improve, I do believe that he will find himself in the conversation because he understands it also. He even said it last last week at the fighter meetings. He goes, by the end of the year, I want to be in the top five and I want to be in contention. And when I hear that from fighters, I immediately start to wonder and think about what's in front of them. Like, how do they get there when they tell me that's their goals? I was not, like, taken aback when Jailton told me that. I wasn't like, oh, I don't know if that's even possible. Because when I look at the top five, I see some matchups that could potentially land him there at the end of the year. So while I do see a championship caliber fighter right now, it doesn't scream at me like Francis Ngannou did whenever I saw Francis with the freaking dreadlocks hanging off of his head looking like the Predator, <laughs> knocking people out. Like, it, it doesn't scream to me as much. But, yeah, I think this guy is going to be a great heavyweight for a really long time. Yeah, uh, Jayotin Almeida... DC is he wasn't as much um, in awe of you as the guy who was coaching against you. Ah. He tried to take you down a little bit after the fight, DT. And I don't really know yeah, yeah, yeah. about this takedown defense, man. Explain a little bit of this to me yeah. because your wrestling students are going to need a little bit more than this as an example set for them. I love this guy. I love Jailton, man. He shot, but RC, let me tell you the key in that. You need to run that clip back. It's the right hand okay. in between me I saw it. and Jailton. I saw it. Watch, RC. Just watch. You saw the right hand? That's called the right the down hand. block. So when he changes his level, when that right hand gets between <laughs> you and the opponent, oh, yeah, it's over. That's it. Because next come the hips. And then once the hips get you, you go flat to the mat, and I'm chasing you. I'm running you down. I'm running down the backside. So, yes, I got it back. I got that leg back, RC. But, dude, <laughs> Jailton tried to take me down in the octagon. Johnny Walker level changed on me. All these dudes trying to take me down in there. Hey, RC, let me tell you something. <laughs> I walk in there, and I might be a little bit heavy right now, but they don't want this smoke, RC. They ain't trying to see me in that octagon like that, man. <laughs> I, I hear you, Shannon Sharp. They don't want this smoke. Yeah, I want oh to see my you God. Sprawl, did you see DC? Shannon Sharp? <laughs> I did, bro. Shannon about to beat everybody. Shannon about to beat everybody hey, up in the, in the crypto Shannon arena. Shannon wants the like, daddy everybody. Hey, DC, so <laughs> every Monday, every Monday when I do get up, um, at 8 o'clock on ESPN, I have an explain your tweet segment. We're going to switch that up yes. a little bit now for DC and RC, and we're going to do explain your telestration because, like they say at the crib, okay. you okay. got some explaining to do. Well, Okay, so so right here, right? This is Jailton. Watch he take the outside step, hooks the leg. He whips him back off the side of the octagon, and then he slams him. And all that scribbling, RC, that's just the earth shaking. Because when you pick a big dude up like Al-Dorimov and you put him down, yeah, because look, dude, so, you, so the left leg steps. Then he swings him okay. back towards the top of the octagon to okay. get him up, and then he falls to the mat, and that's all just like, that's all that heavy duty. That's like me dropping it low, right? You see all that? That's what happens when I drop it low. Like last week when I saw y'all dancing at that okay. wedding, if I would have dropped it low, I would have shook that whole room. Let the clip play, man, <laughs> as you watch this telestrator. Like, let, let him see what happened because what I wrote is exactly what happened. RC, yes, yes. But I got a DC, bit of flack for this that. This right here, that is not, that is not Dan Orlowski-level telestration. <laughs> I'm going to need you to be a little better as a Hall of Famer. But 
I got a special surprise you, this right, weekend. The 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 biggest surprise I ever got was in Phoenix. Glenn walks up behind me when I'm sitting in the arena, and he kept saying, okay, wait, right now, RC, don't go to the bathroom, RC. You have to be here. So I got a text message, and, some, and Glenn said, again, he's like, we got something for you. And then when it happened, it was Jose Aldo being announced as part of the next class or the headliner of the next class of UFC Hall of Famers. We've had this conversation many times. Jose Aldo was one of the people I fell in love with, or one of the fighters I fell in love with, um, not only in his reign in the WEC, but also in the UFC. I think he was just one of the greatest champions, one of the greatest uh, representations of what the UFC, what mixed martial artists are in their talents, in their explosiveness, in their charisma, in their ways of captivating arenas. And so one, I say congrats to the champion, congrats to the Hall of Famer, and this is a well-deserved honor. And for him to get an opportunity to share this with the people of Brazil, I thought was amazing. In that arena, what was the feeling like, D, when Jose Aldo was announced as a Hall of Famer? I mean, he's the king of real, right? We always call him the king of yeah. real. We're in Rio de Janeiro, and the people are going crazy. And I remember sitting there, RC, and watching the highlight, and I look at Paul Felder and I go, he was so good. Like, he was so good, bro. Like, it's unbelievable watching Jose Aldo not only kick, punch his way to championships, but defending takedowns, the moments, like when he knocked out Chad Mendez, jumped into the crowd. That wasn't real. The people are, like, hoisting him up on their shoulders like he's a god. He was just, he was just next level, man. Like, it was something that we had never seen. And the people in the arena felt that. They were so excited for Jose Aldo getting that recognition. And, and to me, RC, the UFC Hall of Fame is becoming what other sports Hall of Fames are. Whereas when I got announced, there were some tears. Jose Aldo gets announced and he's crying. Because now you everybody recognizes what a Hall of Fame is. And before... The UFC Hall of Fame just wasn't that. But now it's taking on that meaning, bro, of, God, I made it. My work is going to be in the annals of history forever at the Hall of Fame. And, dude, it just, it will live forever. And I was so happy for Jose. I went over and gave him a hug, man. He is he is just a gentleman. He's a great, I, I don't get starstruck, RC. I don't care who we see. Right. You and I could be walking down the street. We can run into any basketball player, any football. We don't get starstruck. When I see Jose Aldo, I still get that feeling of, man, this dude is one of the greatest fighters of all time. And I love being in this space. He's the man. Love Aldo. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Jose Aldo had a decade run that was unprecedented in what we've seen um, in that division or in mixed martial arts as a whole. But another Brazilian who probably had a more impressive run, especially in the UFC, was the fellow Brazilian or his fellow Brazilian, Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva is yep. a glaring Silva is a glaring omission from the UFC Hall of Fame, in my opinion. The difference, and you mentioned other Hall of Fames, the difference between the UFC Hall of Fame and a Hall of Fame like the NFL is the grace period. There's a certain amount of time that players have to wait after retiring in order to get into the NFL Hall of Fame. It's not the same thing for the UFC Hall of Fame based on the fact that we recently saw Jose Aldo fight. Anderson Silva hasn't yep. been in the octagon in a while. Why is it, or are you surprised, DC, that Jose Aldo goes in before Anderson Silva's name is called as a UFC Hall of Famer? So I think what happened is this, right, RC? And, and I think that's why you had the Hall of Fame class with me and Habib last year, and then the Hall of Fame class of the year before had George St. Pierre as a headliner. You get these names, these guys that headline these Hall of Fames, and you can't have two, right? You can only have two with me and Habib because we were always kind of tied together. But everyone else, you can't have two. You can't put all these guys together. And I think Anderson Silva is just kind of like uh, waiting his turn. You know, he's waiting his turn to go into the Hall of Fame. But I don't think for one second that Anderson Silva will not find his way into the UFC Hall of Fame. Yeah, DC, I think the, the problem I have with that is that Anderson Silva shouldn't have to wait his turn. This is not yeah. 
This is not this is not another great receiver <laughs> that was waiting on Jerry Rice to get into yeah, yeah. the Hall of Fame or had or had some sort of issue where he wouldn't get the right amount of votes early and you knew uh -huh. you'd put him in on his third opportunity. This is Anderson Silva. You know, um, yeah. I've had conversations about the NFL Hall of Fame that said this. If you want to get rid of the first ballot, second ballot, third ballot, walk into a room of former football players, walk into a room of football coaches, say the player's name, and watch the response. And what I mean by that is you walk in any room and you say Barry Sanders, everyone in that room says Hall of Famer. You do the same thing with uh, with uh, Jerry Rice. Everyone in that room says Hall of Famer. Lawrence Taylor. Everybody in that room says Hall of Famer. You walk into any room with UFC fighters or mixed martial artists or coaches and you say Anderson Silva, they say Hall of Famer. And I believe that it's not about him waiting. He should already be in. And if not now, then when? And if not now, it better be soon. On the other side of that, this yeah, sparks absolutely. a very interesting... This sparks a very interesting debate or, I guess, topic, DC. There's been so many amazing fighters from Brazil that it's hard to pick just one. But we're going to pick four. Who are your top yep. four Brazilian mixed martial artists? Give us your Mount Rushmore. Yeah, you know, my, my Mount Rushmore is, is going to include two of the guys that we just spoke about for a very long time. I'm going Anderson Silva. Jose Aldo, Big Nog, right? Big Nog, the former UFC champion, former Pride champion, uh, just a tremendous fighter, been in there with the best fighters of multiple generations, and Shogun Hua. I know people will say, well, what about Amanda Nunes? And I, I got to go Shogun because I remember Shogun from Pride, RC. Shogun was the reason you bought the DVDs. Shogun was the reason you went to the local Blockbuster, or at least you begged your mom in Marrero, Louisiana, to drive you to Blockbuster to get a Pride DVD because you wanted to watch Shogun. And everything Shogun did in his UFC career was probably past his fighting prime. His fighting prime was spent in Pride. And that dude actually came to the UFC and became the champion. So Shogun Hua, Anderson Silva, for all the reasons you put so beautifully— Jose Aldo for what we spoke about, and Big Nog. It's time for people to give Big Nog his flowers. He was a dominant heavyweight champion. He fought the best of his generation, and he is one of the greatest Brazilian mixed martial artists of all time. Hey, unbelievably late for everything, though, from training to dinners. You wait for Big Nog. He shows up like an hour after you're already done. This guy's crazy. Okay, so Amanda Nunes is my honorable mention, and I'm going to put her on... She's probably going to be on there at some point list. I'm also going to go Cheater. Anderson Silva, as you did. Jose, yeah, I know. Jose Aldo, as you did. Royce <laughs> Gracie, as you did not go. And Vanderlei Silva. I think when mm. I look at the, the UFC and, and what it was to me, I started studying it after the fact. I was the guy that went out and bought the UFC DVDs and watched the fights before they had weight classes. And whenever, or in MMA, whenever you looked at that, it all started with the Gracie family. And Troy would always talk about how great they were, jiu-jitsu, what they meant, and flow like water, and all these different things. So I believe the impact on what they've had on the fighting world uh, after their fighting careers and his fighting career is extremely important. And when I think of, of Vandalay, you know, getting into the fight and before the oh, fight, yeah, sitting, the murder. you know, next to the cage, you know what I mean, rolling it up. I, I just think, and, and, and the ability to not only take punishment, but dish punishment out as he was fighting was something that always made me sit on the edge of my seat watching him fight. And then obviously the same reasons, Jose Aldo, Anderson Silva, Hall of Famers, one is already in, one I expect to get in really soon. And you can't speak of Brazilian mixed martial artists without speaking of those four people, in my opinion. So you guys both just want Amanda yeah. to hate you guys, huh? No, no, well, I love I Amanda. Mean, oh, Corporate Jake, you just busted into the show now? Jake, did you? Jake, did we just hear that, or did everybody hear that? Oh no, everybody hears this. <laughs> oh wow, he just what? putting us. So we're not even tapping in. A, I love Amanda. I don't think that. Unlike DC, I at least gave her a spot. Um, she's climbing up Mount Rushmore. 
right now. I think Daniel continues to disrespect <coughs> her greatness. I'm sure whoever she's fighting next, DC is going to pick against her as he always picks again her against her. And before we allow DC to talk, we're going to tap in and tap out. Corporate Jake, let's go. All right, guys. Corporate Jake. UFC 283. <laughs> Hammering for Lauren Murphy's corner to stop the fight for Jessica Andrade, including DC on the broadcast. Andrade landed a record 231 significant strikes versus Murphy. DC, tap in or tap out. Murphy's coaches should have stopped the fight Saturday night. Yeah, tap in. I was very vocal about it on the call, too, because it just didn't seem like Lauren had a chance to change it. That's that what, that's mm-hmm. where my issue came, because mm-hmm. <clears throat> Glover Teixeira was getting battered, but Glover Teixeira was still landing big shots, and Glover Teixeira was getting takedowns. Lauren wasn't doing anything to try and change what was happening, and then she started to turn away from the strikes. And that, to me, yeah. when people start to turn away from strikes, you got to stop them because she is as tough as anyone in the world. But as I constantly say, if we are in there just lauding someone's toughness, that's a bad thing because that means they're taking way too much damage. And, heck, she got hit almost 100 times in just the third round. Yeah, DC, I 100% tap in on the fact that this fight should have been stopped based on Lauren Murphy's incapability to change the fight. There was nothing she could do. She was 100% totally outmatched in this fight against her opponent and Jessica Andrade, and she was doing nothing but showing people that she could absorb punishment, and that's not where you want your fighter to be. Corporate Jake. Following his win versus Paul Craig, Johnny Walker told you, Daniel, that he wanted to be just like you and become a double champ. RC, tap in or tap out. Walker has the potential to be a future champ champ. I tap out. I tap out. I think Johnny Walker was someone who started his reign or started his career in the UFC on fire, uh, very early finishes. But we've seen him since with some inactivity throughout fights. And also we saw a guy like Jamal Hill absolutely dominate him with knocking him out in one of the most brutal and awkward knockouts I've ever seen in the UFC. I don't believe that he could be the light heavyweight champ more so or much less a double champ in winning the heavyweight title as well. RC, you said it was one of the most awkward knockouts you've ever seen because they hit him on his forehead and he just kind of tumbled backwards. I've never seen anything like it. It's like his body shut off. Bro, he did a vertical backwards. Like, I've never seen that in my life. <laughs> we got to stop laughing at these guys. I, 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 uh, I tap out, but not because of – I tap out not because of all that, even though those things all pointed being hard. I tap out just because it's just really hard to be a UFC champion, much less the double champion. That's why so few people have done it. So it's not – it's not anything against him or, or the next guy that says they want to be a double champion. I think everybody should strive to be a double champion. It's just extremely hard to do. It's like Ryan saying, I want to win this Super Bowl. Or I want to be like Tom Brady and win seven Super Bowls or six off many right. he has. It's just really, right. really hard to do. So, yeah, I, I tap out. Corporate Jake. Luke Rockhold announced yesterday that he is now a free agent and is eyeing a boxing fight in the near future. DC, tap in or tap out on Rockhold getting into the boxing space. Ah, this is a bit of a loaded one for me because I tap in on him having an ability to make money. I tap out on him just still fighting. I don't know uh, this late in your life if, if switching sports to boxing is going to be uh, the move. But I tap in on him still having an ability to make money, absolutely. But um, I just kind of was hoping that that was the end of the story in that last fight, right? It was great. He was loved. It seemed like a fairy tale ending, but obviously the draw of the crowd and the money and the fight is still too much for Luke, and I'm happy that he gets an opportunity to go and pursue that. Yeah, I tap, so I guess I do I tap in on this only if he's going to get one of these fights that gives him big money and doesn't put him in a ton of danger. If he has an opportunity for what everybody is angling for, which is an opportunity to fight one of the Pauls and have a payday and then go home and be about your business, I tap in on that. But for anything that has to do with having a boxing career, I tap out on Luke Rockhold becoming a boxing professional. 
All right, guys, last one. With under three weeks until UFC 284, Islam is currently sitting at a three-and-a-half-to-one favorite over featherweight champ Alex Volkanovsky. RC, tap in or tap out on Islam being this big of a favorite over Volk? You know, I, I tap in, and because I see why the odds makers would see it this way. We're talking about one of the most dominant 155-pound fighters in the entire world fighting against a champ in Alexander Volkanovsky who has to come up in weight and faces a huge size discrepancy in do I believe Volk has a chance? Absolutely, but it seems like the odds maker don't. You know, the pound-for-pound fighter in the world, number one, has an opportunity but you look at the size difference. I did not imagine it would be that big. You look at him standing, him standing face to face. Islam's head taller than him. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable how much taller he is than Volkanovsky. But I think the odds are rooted in the styles. Because when you look at Makachev, he has an ability to secure takedowns. And then I think that people found confidence in his striking after what he did to Charles Dubronx Oliveira. So I absolutely tap in Corporate Jake. DC, you know what I tap in on, man? I tap in on you being phenomenal, not only as a fighter, but as a man, a commentator, an analyst. And you did something extremely awesome, a huge gesture in buying a wrestling website. Here it says, low-key great thing happened in wrestling this week. DC <laughs> bought the California Wrestler, a website that was the pulse of the state amongst the most important wrestling states. The site was shut down a few months ago. What Daniel is doing is great for the state and the sport. Tell us a little bit about the feeling <laughs> having this opportunity gave you, DC. Yeah, you know, the California Wrestler has been around the state of California since 1974. It was a place where... The community gathered to talk. They did forums. They they were able to share their thoughts and kind of have a voice. But then it went down uh, right before the pandemic, and then it came back, but it wasn't what it was. So I went and got with the people that are behind running the website, talked to them about a vision for the California wrestler to not only bring it back to what it was before, but try to expand it and make it bigger. So what we did is we created a Rockfin channel and made the California Rockfin. So there, uh, Ryan, we're going to have all kind of historical data. We will have articles. We will have live competition, streaming, podcasts. And then on the website, we will have all of the rankings. We will have the forum. We will have all these things that had made the California wrestler so great. Make it back viable in the state where it was so important once upon a time. So very, very excited for the California wrestling and all the people that we are going to be working with to try and bring this beautiful, uh, this great website back to the glory days. This is a hey Ryan. It, it started in 1974. So for something to be around that Man. long, it would have been unfortunate for it to kind of go yeah. and just kind of die. So to be able to help with that, is absolutely beautiful. So hopefully we can bring the community back together. Go to the CaliforniaWrestler.com and you can see all the stuff that we uh, we are doing over there. And also go to Rockfin.com and type in the California Wrestler to get all of our stuff. I mean, that's amazing, DC. And I think the thing I recognize about it more is that it's about your heart. It's about your heart for yeah. young people who are interested in wrestling for people who just love wrestling as a whole and continuing to keep something alive that is a staple of not only that community, but that state. And it says a lot about who you are as a man. And that's the true championship spirit that made Daniel Cormier not only a fan favorite, but a favorite of the people who understood what goes in to the characteristics of what makes someone great. Thank you so much, RC. They're telling me, we have a one-year anniversary. It's anniversary time at DC and RC. Ryan, we're going one year. The pivot turns one yes. today, Ryan. Ryan, yes. listen to me. You guys have done something so phenomenal in such a short period of time. I am so proud of you, Brother Chan and Brother Fred. Dog, I have seen you guys take this thing where you took – I remember when you first started talking about the pivot. And when you guys made the first episode, you're like, DC, we got 100,000 subscribers in like a week. I was like, because it's good, <laughs> Ryan. And when it's good, yeah. people pay attention. And they can see how much it means to you guys. But not only is the pivot so phenomenal, I've been on it myself, but I've seen the pivot yeah. hosting first take. I've seen the pivot all over television. Yeah. Bro, congratulations on your first year. And 
I know that there are many years to come for the pivot. So great job, boys. Nah, man, I thank you. And I think thank you for trusting us, man, and being a part of the show. It's one of our favorite episodes. It's obviously one of, honestly one of our best episodes uh, that we've had. <laughs> and we've had an opportunity to tap into things in a different way. And it's helped me grow, honestly, in being able to host this show and be a host with you and learn that chemistry, how to ask questions and how to continue to keep conversations going. And so as much as I love doing that, we're grateful for all the supporters. I'm grateful for everybody here at DC and RC. And a huge reason why I can have that podcast and be successful there and still keep this one is because I just enjoy doing it. And I'm at a point in my life, man, where I want to have an opportunity and a space to do things with people I actually F with. I don't know if I can say that on here, but yeah. people I'm actually cool with, people <laughs> you can. I actually I actually enjoy being around and having conversations with. We've spent our whole lives, our entire lives, working for people because we understood that was how we had to feed our family. And we still do some of those things because that's who we are as men. But to have an opportunity like The Pivot or have an opportunity like DC and RC where I talk to those humans even if I wasn't on camera, even if I wasn't getting yeah. paid for it. I think that's the spot as an athlete you want to be in, man. And that's where we are. And so every Tuesday, too, when we get a chance to do this, I feel the same exact way, bro. Absolutely, my brother. Thank you so much. Guys, every Tuesday, like Ryan said, YouTube, ESPN2, now midnight Eastern. And wherever you get your podcast, you catch DC and RC. RC, you know what else I'm excited about? I'm excited about us what, being bro? in London. You think they're gonna let us? Bro, you think I they're can't gonna let us those red suits with that hat? What if they let us <laughs> with wear those red suits with the white <laughs> pants with that hat? But we're gonna be out there. DC. We're gonna be out there, RC. DC. Here's my question. Have you been before? You've been to London before, right? See, I've never I've never, I've been. never been, but just to play. We gotta find food, bro. We gotta eat something good. If we don't eat good, I don't Shepherd's wanna go. Pie. Shepherd's pie. Will you eat shepherd's pie? I guess that's something they eat over there in England. It's like a I've eaten shepherd's like a pie, pie before. With like ground beef inside of it. You had it. Fish, yeah, fish and, and chips. chips. They eat fish and fish chips, and chips and too. DC. I eat fish and chips. But are they yeah, like? We gonna eat their food. Like that's not gonna be good. Though. It's not gonna like be good. Like at the crib, Louisiana. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't know. Catfish. But you remember, hey. Wherever you get your podcast, tune in to DC and RC every Tuesday, a.m., 12 a.m. on ESPN2. Wait, is it Wednesday? Bye. We're going. Nobody knows. It's too yet. I don't that know when the show Wednesday. comes on. It's I don't know when it's Wednesday. <laughs>